Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't it wonderful to worship with the young people and energizing, energizing way to start the day? Praise the Lord. Really good. Um, so we're continuing today in our series, Vital Signs, Healthy Christian, Healthy Church. And over the last um, few weeks, we've been looking at various vital signs of healthy Christian living. And if you can cast your minds back, we've looked at topics such as prayer and thankfulness and humility and grace. And this morning, we're looking at the topic of contentment. Contentment. So if you could turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Philippians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. These are the words of Paul, the apostle, writing to the church in Philippi. And he says these words, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Well, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word contentment. Just think about that for a moment. What comes to your mind when you hear the word contentment? Maybe you think of that really nice contented feeling after a three-course meal, and you're just tucking in, maybe to the dessert. I'll focus on the dessert, the treacle, pudding, and custard. Uh, the, the, the fire is burning, and you've got your pudding in front of you, or for some people, don't understand why, but it's the cheese board, but bless you, but it's the, <laughs> I'm sure we've got those that would choose cheese board instead of a treacle pudding here, but um, you know, you're just content, it's just a good feeling, maybe you've got a glass of port and it's just a rain lashing down outside and you're really, really content, or maybe for you, when you think of contentment, you think, well, it's, it's just a holiday, it's lying on the beach, sun is shining down, a nice cool drink, the kids are playing happily in the sand. In fact, no, real contentment, the kids are with Granny and Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do true contentment. The, kid, the kids are happy wherever they are. And, um, you know, that's just, for me, that's just contentment, really not a care in the world. Or maybe just contentment, what do you think contentment? What do you think? Well, it's joy. Contentment is joy. It's, it's happiness. You know, we've just seen that gracing our screens already, all of the TV adverts of Christmas and all the other retail, all the different retailers putting their TV adverts out. But one of them is a chocolate advert. And it's, it's actually hashtag unwrap joy. Hashtag unwrap joy. Buy this two-pound slab of chocolate and you will have joy. You will have contentment. It will give you joy. Well, you know, it's okay to have contentment from a, a nice meal and it's okay to have contentment from, from chocolate. It's not a problem. John Cabri was a Christian. I always liked that one. 
<laughs> so it was the founder of KFC, funnily enough. Um, but um, it's always a good excuse to find out who, who found these businesses. You, you might discover they're Christians. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's great to have joy. There's no problem with that. It's, you know, and if those things give us contentment of a holiday or a nice hearty meal or a bar of chocolate, that's absolutely fine. But this morning we're looking at a different, a secret of contentment that Paul's talking about, a whole different type of contentment. You see, Paul says that in whatever situation, when feeling hungry and in need or well-fed, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances So in today's language, he would say, whether I'm living in a mansion or a studio flat, whether I'm driving my own car or taking public transport, whether I'm waiting by the bus stop and the rain is pouring down or I'm having a great holiday, whether I have an iPhone 6 or a Nokia 6210 (laughs) with snakes as the only game on it. Whatever I have... I've learned the secret of being content, regardless of my situation. Now, I confess, I don't stand here before you as a living expert in contentment. I'm just on the rotor this morning. <laughs> okay? So just, just to get that clear right from the beginning, I don't stand here as a, as a complete expert. I, I'm in the school of contentment, as I'm sure... All of us are here today. We're in the school of contentment. We're learning lessons about contentment. But I can say that I have lived in need. I have lived in need. Ellie and I, when we first married, went to college down in Horsham in West Sussex, and we didn't have a a, a lot of money at all. We put a lot of our money into the the fees for college. And there was a time when I was looking for work after that, and we were in real need. I mean, we we were skint absolutely skin. We were in need and people were helping us. We had Daniel now 20 but at the time one year old and you know buying nappies were expensive and people were helping us etc and we really knew what it was to be in need. Uh, today we're blessed. I have a, a good job in a local company and Ellie works at a local school so relatively speaking we, we have more than we had then. We've, we've, lived, we've lived in both. But one thing I can absolutely say to you in both of those situations is that discontentment can affect us whatever we have. You see, Paul isn't talking here to people who don't have much. He's actually saying, when I had very little, and even when I have a lot, there's still a risk of discontentment. But I've learnt the secret of being content within that. And I don't know what it's like for you, but you can be going along quite happily in life, actually, feeling quite content with, with your lot, quite content with family and, and friends that you have and what you do. And, you know, you're feeling okay, pretty content. And then what I call a personal contentment challenge can come along. A PCC, a personal contentment challenge. Christmas is a great time for this, by the way, because we, start, we, we meet people we haven't seen for a while. We meet friends and family we haven't seen for a year. And, you know, we find out all about their lives over the last year. I mean... How many people here send a, a Christmas newsletter? No problem if you do, no criticism. I, 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 we, do. we sent one about two years ago. We decided to send one every decade. So, <laughs> so we, we sent one a couple of years ago, and you know, we put the update from the year. But, and, and that's great. I think it's really good to update your friends and family about how your year has been. But you know, sometimes you can get home from work, and you unwrap those Christmas cards, and you get a Christmas newsletter, and, and you were feeling fine. But by the time you've read that newsletter, you're not feeling content anymore. You know, the wonderful photo at the top, you know, the family news from the Harrises. 
And then the first thing is, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy got a first uh, at Cambridge and he's got a wonderful new job in New York with his own office and a PA. It's so chuffed for him. And uh, uh, Sonia's still with the Royal Ballet. And, uh, you know, she had a great tour in Prague and we all really enjoyed that. And uh, uh, we, we celebrated Harold's 60th birthday this year. We, uh, we all uh, went to, to our log cabin in Switzerland. It was a wonderful time. A bit, a bit cosy in the jacuzzi, but other than that, it was wonderful. We had a great year. And, you, you know, I was feeling so happy before I read your, your newsletter. And sometimes I wonder what the alternative Christmas newsletter would look like, you know. We were disappointed to find out that Josephine had a tattoo of an eagle across her back as she came home. We, we haven't spoken to Harry for two weeks because we wouldn't let him go to Magaluf. We had a wonderful holiday in Cornwall. It rained for two weeks, and the car broke down on the way back. Other than that, it's been a great year. You know, things can come in and challenge our contentment. Social media is another one. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, They can actually bring to us challenges to our own personal contentment. Now, again, I've got nothing against social media. It's got huge benefits. You know, we use it here at King's. Not a criticism at all of social media. But we do live in a selfie culture where people can instantly present themselves to the world in a favourable light. In a favourable light. Actually, there's been a lot of studies by sociologists on the impact of social media. And one said, one observed that the danger of social media is that we can compare our behind the scenes, our everyday humdrum life, with other people's highlight reels. They have new shoes, a great holiday, a glamorous evening out at a top London restaurant, a bungee jump from a bridge in the Amazon. Uh, the reality of our own lives is leftover spaghetti bolognese. The most glamorous trip we've been on is to the A&E department to get a splinter removed this year. You know, it's, it can be quite challenging when we read about the lives of others in this way. One study done by research, they asked a group of students, they said to this group of students, spend half an hour on Facebook finding out what your ex-friends have been doing and what they're up to now, and your current friends. And they asked them after that, after 30 minutes, how do you feel? of them said that they felt depressed and discontent. I think it's fair to say we live in an age where discontentment is more prevalent than ever before. One writer says, Never before have so many people had so much and yet wanted so much more. Do you know that UK audiences on the whole watch, on average, 47 television adverts a day. Now, again, this isn't a criticism of the media industry, and some adverts are absolutely important to hear about fitting smoke alarms or other things and products, etc., but they can create discontentment. Um, John D. Rockefeller, he's the founder of the Standard Oil Company in America, one of the richest men ever to live. But he was known for his constant unhappiness and discontentment. He was once asked by uh, a reporter, John, how much money does it take to make a person happy? And he answered, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. We live in a world that breeds discontentment. We live in a culture that can breed discontentment. And if Paul, the great apostle, had to learn this secret of contentment in a culture where, in fairness, there wasn't as much materialism, where there wasn't as much things to look at and see, 
But he had to learn this secret of contentment. How much more will we need to learn this secret of being content in a world where that can be constantly challenged? So what is this secret of contentment that Paul talks about? Well, you'll be pleased to know I looked up the dictionary.com definition of the word contentment, just to help us all, because it's always good to have a foundation on what you're talking. So I looked up the definition of contentment, and it gave me this. Contentment is the state of being contented. (laughs) I thought, well, tell me something new. That's really helpful. (laughs) So that's it. There we go. We're done. Have a bar of chocolate. Contentment is a state of being contented. Well, actually, I found some other useful definitions. I think this is a bit more like what we're looking for. Contentment is simply accepting one's life state and being grateful or happy with it. Simply accepting one's life state and being grateful or happy with it. That's a bit closer. I, I think contentment speaks of an inner peace, an inner joy, an inner satisfaction, an inner sense of just, I'm at peace. I am content. It's not wanting more, more, more. It's not always seeking more, more, more and and looking out to get, 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 get. Contentment is, you know, I am content in this situation. It's a state of rest. Joyce Meyer, the American uh, speaker and author, said these words. She said, Just think how powerful it would be to just always be completely content. Just imagine how powerful it would be to just always be completely content. No disgruntlement, no complaining, no grumbling, no wanting more. Just being completely content. And I wonder if there was such thing as a contentment-ometer that measured... It's all right, I'm not going to ask you to write it down and share with the person next to you but there was a contentmentometer that measured your own personal level of contentment, where one is, I'm totally discontent with relationships, with what I am, with what I have, with where I'm going in life. I'm, I'm discontent. And ten is, I'm, I'm content. I'm happy. I'm at peace in all of this. I wonder where the needle would be in your own personal contentmentometer. And I know for me, it, it would probably be different for different parts of my life. And that would probably be the same for you as well. For some parts of your life, you say, I'm, to- I'm really content with my family, my wife, my kids. I'm really content with that, but my, my job, I'm not content there. I'm not content there. Hopefully, your contentment isn't the other way around than that. But, you know, I'm really content with my fa- Something is, these areas are great, but there are some areas that I'm, I'm just not content with. And if that is the case, if the needle is, is lower in some areas, then we can learn from what Paul had to say on contentment. We can learn about this secret of being content. We can take really encouragement from the fact that Paul, the great apostle, had to learn this secret. He had to learn it. It didn't come naturally. It didn't come overnight. When we're going to learn a new language, for example, Ron, I don't know how long you've been learning Nepalese for, but for hours, weeks, months, years to learn Nepalese. And now Ron can go to Nepal and, and interact and communicate with the locals, and they're, they're amazing. It's fantastic. But he's had to put the graft in to learn that. It didn't come overnight. I'm sure those here have learned to drive, yeah. or are learning to drive at the moment. You know, it's, it's not instant. You don't learn in half an hour. It takes time. 
Anyone here learning to play golf? <laughs> you never learn. <laughs> you never finish that. So uh, learning takes time to things that do not come naturally. So we can take encouragement of the fact that if we are still in the school of contentment, if we are still facing situations where our contentment is challenged, we mustn't beat ourselves up about that. We must realize that maybe God is putting us through another lesson on this journey of contentment. Maybe that situation is there to help us to learn the secret of being content. It's a secret. I looked up the dictionary.com definition of secret. It was a lot more helpful, I have to say. Uh, There's a number of definitions, but one of them was this. A secret is beyond ordinary human understanding. It's something that is beyond our ordinary human understanding. It's a secret. It needs to be sought out. It's not obvious. Contentment is not obvious. You see, what's obvious, what's logical, is that if you get what you want, you'll be happy. So try and get what you want to be happy, to be content. But if you don't get what you want, if you don't get that thing that you think will make you content, you won't be happy. So you'll be unhappy until you've got what you want. That's logical. That's what the natural order of things in. That's what the obvious um, assessment of contentment would be. Get what you want and you'll be content. Have what you want and you'll be content. When I get that new job, I'll be content. When I find my wife or my husband, then I'll be happy. When I get that new kitchen, then we'll all be happy because I'll be happy, which means you'll all be happy. (laughs) But the problem, of course, is we don't always get that thing that we think will make us feel content. It might simply be practically we can't afford that thing. Practically, it's not right for us. It's not good. So the logic would therefore flow that we will remain discontent until we get that. The secret of contentment that Paul talks about that he's learned is despite whatever his external circumstances, whether he gets it or not, whether he's in plenty or in need, he has this inner contentment. It is beyond ordinary human understanding, this inner contentment. Paul effectively says, whether in plenty or in need, I can be content. It is neither the plenty that gives me contentment or the need that gives me discontentment. I can be content in whatever circumstance. It is a secret that he had to learn. And one thing that's really important in all of this is because it can make us think, well, is that therefore, is it wrong that I should pray for anything? It's really interesting that Paul did not say, I have learned the secret of being content with my circumstances. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in my circumstances. And I'd say that actually there's a big difference by being content with something and being content in something. You see, Paul was content with the thorn in his flesh. Why did he plead with the Lord to remove it three times? He asked God, please take this away, this struggle, this difficulty, please remove it from me. Because I'm not content with this going on. I'm not content with this person persecuting me or this, whatever it was, I'm not content with it. Lord, please take it away. But in that, I am content in you. 
If we think that contentment is somehow passivity, oh, well, never mind, okay, I haven't got a job. Can I pray for you to have a job? No, no, I'm content with not having a job. I'm content with that. You don't need to pray for, for, for me in that situation. I'm content with it. Or would it not be better to say, you know, in this place of waiting, I am content, but I'm asking God for his intervention. I'm asking God to change this. Contentment is not passivity. As a church, we are, in, in some senses, discontent with the number of people in Wickham that know Jesus. There's a godly discontentment with that. If we were content, we'd kick back and say, absolutely great. We've, we've arrived. We've reached enough people. But we don't. We're looking, at, we're looking at a second site. We're looking at reaching out into the community because there is, a, there is a discontentment with the number of people that do not know the love and the saving grace of Jesus. There is a godly discontentment that causes us to pray and causes us to press on. But we are content in that. We are still content in God in that. So Paul said, I'm content in the situation. And we must remember that when we're praying to God for change, when we're asking him to intervene in the situation that might cause us to feel discontent, when we're asking him for that, we're praying to a big God. We are praying to a big God who can do big things for us and loves, as we've heard this morning in worship, loves to write, I love you all over us. And loves to say, I want to bless you. I want to give you good things. I'm thinking of you. Come and splash in this paddling pool. Pray to me. Ask me. There's a story once told of Arnold Palmer, the golfer. And he was invited to go and play golf. I think it was to launch a golf course somewhere in the Middle East. And in that Middle Eastern country, there was a king of that country. And Arnold Palmer went over with his crew to launch the golf course and play a round of golf. And all the media were there. And great, Arnold Palmer's here. And afterwards, the king said, Arnold Palmer, thank you so much for giving up your time, your busy schedule, to come and play golf at our new golf course. I really, you know, what can I, what can I give you by way of thanks? And Arnold Palmer said, well, no, nothing, it's absolutely fine. We, we've got, got all I need, really. Um, no, please, what can I give you? I, I, want, I want to give you something. And I, well, he said, I collect golf clubs, Arnold Palmer. Said, I, I like golf clubs. I'll have one of your golf clubs or have a golf club made. Something. Just give me a golf club. And the king said, okay, I'll, I'll arrange it. I'll arrange it. And uh, a few weeks later, Arnold Palmer wondered where it had got to, but, you know, he wasn't complaining or anything. And through the post came a document. And he undid that document, and in that envelope were the deeds to a golf club. (laughs) And not only a golf club, but the restaurant, the gym facility, (laughs) all signed over to Arnold Palmer. I don't know if it's a true story, but it tells the story, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it no, but it, 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 you know, it's, a, it's a wonderful illustration of, of somebody that, that calls on a king who can lavish anything. So let's pray big prayers in our place of contentment. Let's, let's pray big expectant prayers to God. He longs for us to do that. He loves that we do that. I work in the area of employee motivation and employee engagement, and there's a lot of theories on engagement and motivation, how to motivate staff, how to get people really motivated and engaged to do a great, great job. And there's a lot of different theories on this, but one of the theories is that there are two types of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation, extrinsic being I will do a great job because I'll be noticed and I might get paid more and I might get a bonus, and I might get recognition, and I might get promoted. And there's intrinsic motivation, which is 
I will do a good job because I want to do a good job, because I gain pleasure out of doing a good job, even if I don't get noticed, even if I don't get rewarded, even if I don't get more. I have this intrinsic motivation. And needless to say, the goal is to have people who are intrinsically motivated to deliver great customer service or to do a good job. That intrinsic motivation. And really, this whole area of contentment is very similar in principle. This intrinsic contentment, this internal contentment, regardless of what's going on externally. But how do we achieve this? It's a tall order. It's tough in this world to achieve that. How do we learn this secret of being content? What is the answer? How do we get that intrinsic contentment, regardless of external factors? Well, throughout the New Testament, we read this term, in Christ. Those two words, in Christ. My life is hidden with God in Christ. In Acts we read, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And in Philippians, as we've just read, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. In Christ, I can do all things through the help of Christ. I can achieve this contentment through Christ who gives me strength. The secret to true Christian contentment is not found in external factors. It is found in Christ. And it is only found in Christ. We will only find true contentment in Christ Jesus. Now, there's this wonderful um, picture that Jesus paints of being the vine and us being the branches. This sense of being grafted into Jesus such that all of the goodness of Christ flows out into our lives as he lives in us. And that sense of contentment that comes from being in Christ, that sense of contentment that comes from resting in him, trusting in him, knowing his sovereign plan, knowing his will, is what we pursue, is what we want. He's all you need. When you're lonely and feeling isolated, he was deserted in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know how he was deserted. And he understands that. When you're tempted, he was tempted in every way, as we read in Hebrews, yet was without sin. When, when we're happy, he was happy. He was filled with joy. When we're sad, we know that Jesus wept. He is all we need. That true contentment comes from being in him. He will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches. I've, I've got an illustration here which, which makes the point of what it is to be in Christ. Imagine, if you would, that this candle, if you're using our Advent candle, which needs a, a bit of a head start. Um, so imagine if um, that flame is your contentment. That flame is your personal level of contentment. And... Um, you know, it's going along quite nicely. And then one of these personal contentment challenges comes along and the flame just begins to flicker a bit. And um, you're feeling a bit, oh, something's happened. And you're not content anymore. And that can be life. 
our candle of contentment can fluctuate all the time. But when we're in Christ, when we recognize that our life is hidden with God in Christ, and this is the secret that Paul learned as he wrote this letter in prison, and Roman prisons were not pretty places to be. As he wrote this letter, what he learned was the secret is his life was now in Christ. He could still see the external circumstances, and we can still see the external circumstances that we face. And we still know they're there, and they can still cause us to feel threatened in terms of our personal level of contentment. But when they come along, we are shielded. We are in Christ. His sufficiency, his grace, his mercy, his love, his truth shields us, keeps us. We are in Christ. We find true contentment in Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't see those things. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for change. It doesn't mean that we don't ask him to help us and give us the grace we need. But ultimately, we have this secret place of contentment in Christ. And that's, that's what Paul learnt. That's the secret he learnt. You know, there's, we've heard over the last couple of weeks about the importance of thankfulness and humility. And if we were to look for an equation for contentment, I think it would look something like thankfulness plus humility plus trust equals contentment. We're thankful, we're humble, but we also trust in God. We trust that whatever the situation we're in, God knows about it. We trust in Hebrews 13.5, be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you trust in that? Do you, do you trust that never will he leave you? Never will he forsake you. That wonderful picture we had of the glue stick. He sticks by you. Isn't that great? He just sticks by you. You know, we can get discontent because we we get all worried about what's going on and, and God's saying, I know, I'm with you in it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We have this trust in him. Now, I've heard it said that our present contentment is rooted in a past reality and a future hope. The past reality of the cross and what Christ has won for us on the cross of Calvary and the future hope of what there is to come. We are presently content because of the past reality and the future hope. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts become discontented. My father's house has many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know what we have ahead? Do you realize what we have to look forward to? Do you realize the glory of what God has for us? That can give us contentment. We look back, but we look ahead at this great, wonderful eternity that we have to look forward to with him. But God wants us to enjoy contentment on the journey as well. He wants us to enjoy being with him. He wants us to enjoy what it is to be in Christ. 
to cast all of our burdens onto him because he cares for us and to trust in his unfailing love that he is always with us. So the secret of being content is not in a great holiday, although that can give us contentment. It's not in a lovely three-course meal. The secret of being content is being found in Christ. It's calling upon him. It's resting in him. It's resting in the knowledge that whether we go through trials and difficult situations, whenever we go through those things that we just think, what is going on, Lord? He surrounds us. He protects us. He keeps us. I want to conclude now with the story of a guy called Nick Wojcik. Um, Nick is 32 years old. He was born in Australia with a rare disorder resulting in the fact that he had no limbs. He was born with no limbs. The doctors were fathomed. They couldn't understand what uh, caused this, but he was born with no limbs. And as a child, he struggled mentally and emotionally. Um, as well as physically. And at the age of 10, Nick tried to take his own life by drowning himself. But he found personal faith in Jesus. He read the story of Jesus healing the blind man. And Jesus said, it was for my glory. It was for my glory that this man was born in this way. And it inspired him. And he found personal faith in Jesus as a result. I don't show us this quick clip by any means to condemn us by any means to kind of cajole us into contentment. Not at all. I just want us to be inspired by a man who has found a place of peace and contentment in the midst of what would be externally any cause for discontentment. And there's something that Nick says in this clip. He says that people say to him, how come you smile so much? How come you smile so much? And he says, it's a long story. It's a long story. Let's just play this clip. I wasn't ready. I have no arms and no legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. (laughs) People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool, I was at a water slide um, all by myself. Everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down and here I come and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, like this. And I was so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know? And there were times where I sort of looked at my life and thinking, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have. And you sort of forget what you do have. And there's no point, I believe, in my life where I wish I had arms and legs, I wish I had arms and legs, I wish I had arms and legs, because wishing won't help. But what I've seen in life are just a couple key principles. And the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am am I going to be? I can't even hold my wife's hand. It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. 
face and I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long this storm is going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. Being patient is beautiful. I, I tell you, it's the hardest thing. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. That's just a powerful example of uh, a man who... It's a miracle. It's a miracle of, a miracle of contentment. Um, his, his story, uh, he travels uh, around the world now. He's been to over 60 countries. I think he's spoken to 30, 40 million people about Jesus and about the saving grace of Jesus. But it's an absolute miracle that there's a man in a place of contentment and peace. And God's done that miracle in his heart. So I want us to finish by praying. I'd just like to... Let's have a moment of quiet before the Lord. Now, Father, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you. We thank you for pouring out your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are for us. And we thank you, Father, that you have so much good in store for us. But Lord, we realize that there are places in our lives that can cause us discontentment. Lord, there are places in our lives that can make us feel just not happy about that. Lord, we pray that you would teach us, help us, to learn the secret of being content in all situations. And Father, it doesn't mean we don't pray to you for change. It doesn't mean that we don't seek you and ask for you to intervene. But Lord, in these places we pray, help us to learn the secret of being content. In Jesus' name, amen.